Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family. I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode. Today's podcast is all about parenting children with additional needs and we are absolutely delighted to welcome Emma to join us with this. Hello and welcome Emma. Hi Claire, hi Bex, thanks for having me today. It's our absolute pleasure. So just kind of to kick things off Emma, it'd be really good if you could just tell us a little bit about you and how we know each other and a little bit about your family. So I'm Emma. Um, I know Claire and Bex from Norland College. I have a seven-year-old and my twins turned five yesterday and one of my twins has Down syndrome. That's obviously why we wanted to talk to you and I just need to get a question out of the way really quickly because I've obviously just given the introduction as parenting children with additional needs and the first question I asked Claire was do we say special needs do we say additional needs what's the difference what do you use <laughs> well, so many questions <laughs> honestly i don't even know what one to use either i use children with special needs i use disabled child because my child is registered disabled but then when i say that to other parents who have children with down syndrome they get quite upset about it so it's really tricky to use the right wording so I just use whatever word that suits me. And I, at the moment, I'm using a special needs child. Mm-hmm. But you can use whatever word you want and I won't be offended. Okay. So can I just ask you also, so it's Amala yep. who has got Down syndrome. Can I just ask you, if you don't mind just saying what that means that she can and can't do? And Yeah, so Amala was born with Down syndrome. She was diagnosed at birth. And we were told she would be able to walk or talk. She was born with a hole in her heart. Uh, luckily that has grown over she has to go to hospital quite regularly to have her eyes tested uh, she has short sight to have her hearing tested she has physio she does have speech therapy Um, she has to go to a specialist doctor every year to check how she's doing there are numerous appointments that people have to attend when you've got a special needs child um, and Amala also has to see a craniosteopath as well for her head. Um, her head's quite small and she gets quite a lot of headaches. And so this magic man puts his hands on her heads and somehow it creates more oxygen to the brain. He's this amazing man. I don't know what he does. I just pay him and say, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's great. So she has many appointments. So she's used to being to and fro through hospitals. It's like our second home, basically. How do you manage, because obviously Amala is one of a twin, so, and her brother is neurotypical and doesn't have any special Mm. needs, and so, and obviously old brother is um, the same, so how do you balance all of, that's, like, all those hospital appointments and Mm. probably Amala's needs and Mm. balancing that out with her brother's and everything else, it's quite a... Yeah, that's actually one of the trickiest things. I think people tend to forget the impact a special needs child has on the siblings all the time. People do 
you know, they ask, how's Amla? But no one seems to say, oh, how are the boys doing? How are they coping with all this? Because now my boys are in school, but when her twin wasn't in school, he got dragged along to hospital appointments. So when all his friends were, you know, uh, baby groups or sing and sign or swimming lessons, he was in hospital. And he, unfortunately, had, he had to. He did suffer. But, and the guilt, oh, my gosh, I was, like, drenched in guilt. But I had no other choice because I had no, I've got no family support around me. So I had to take him. So I just had to make it really fun and say, oh, look, because at the children's hospital, they have Wallace and Gromit. Look, Wallace is here. Let's press the buttons and let's go and have a snack in the coffee shop. You know, trying to make every bit really exciting when in reality, it's just the hospital again. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing else you can do. And when I get that little bit of time with the boys, I try and make it really special and just focus on them because they hardly get any time with me, unfortunately. But one of the good things, actually, although it does sound really difficult, the boys are so caring and really accepting of others. They're, they're so loving. And I think that is down to having a sister with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's really lovely. So. I think there's a real, when you see children who, like you say, with the boys and they there's a different empathy it's like they understand so much more so much younger and they're much more accepting Mm. of um people's Mm. differences in in a way that they don't even see them it's kind of because they grow up with it they're going yeah we go to hospital or yeah we have to do this because Mm. amla needs us to do this and and actually i think those experiences as a child will only be the most amazing kind of life experience for them when they're older I think it's looking at that side of things isn't it that they will grow up as such empathetic caring individuals Mm. because of their childhood and their experiences so I think missing out on those baby groups and things like that is one thing but actually what they gain is a huge amount in the other way so it's kind of looking at it in a really positive way yeah yeah I mean at Christmas time that's quite a difficult time because the boys want to do everything that their friends are doing, you know, the ice skating, the theatre trips. And obviously I know that some of those things Amla can't do, but we, I took them to the theatre at Christmas and Amla screamed the whole way through. It was the sensory issues and it was too enclosed. And the boys only saw half the show and we had to leave. And I was waiting for them to kick off and shout at me, but they were like, oh, that's OK, Mummy. And I was just, like, crying on the way home, like, oh, you're so amazing. It makes me cry just thinking about it because I just accept the fact that they couldn't see the second half of the show because Alma didn't enjoy it. She felt upset by the lights and the noise. Like, that's how amazing they are. But then that's all credit to you, uh, you know, you guys, in terms of having made them, you know, realise that actually they're as important as mm. she is, but sometimes mm. these things happen and... You know, and and the the kind of people that they are in accepting that, and you know, loving you so much that yeah. you know they want to make sure that you're not upset about that. Aww. That'll make me, gosh, yeah, wow. <laughs> God, that's not cry on the podcast. I was about to say we're only a few minutes in, and we're already, you know, <laughs> you've already got us tearing up. Oh, sorry, but, guys. Oh no, but well, kind of going back to the beginning, Emma, mm. just to ask you, um, when you were told that Amala had additional needs. How how did it feel and what kind of support did you receive at the time? So the twins were emergency C-section, 36 weeks, um, and Amala 
was handed to me and I diagnosed her and I said, she has Down syndrome. And the doctor said, you're not medical. And he got a little bit cross with me. And I said, no, I know she has Down syndrome. It was like mother's instinct. I just felt that she had Down syndrome. I could just tell by her eyes, her face features. And I said, you have to do the test. I need to know. I need to know what my life's going to entail. And so obviously it came back and she had the tests. And my life kind of turned a bit upside down from there, really. My other twin was in NICU for a week for breathing problems. And then my toddler was at home. He was two at the time with my husband. And we had no one around. So I was just on my own in hospital, just stressing out about what was going to happen to my twins. And when she was diagnosed with Down syndrome, unfortunately, I had a lot of negativity thrown at me from every angle the professionals in the hospital uh told me well they apologized to me at first because i'm sure you know this bex but you get scanned every four weeks when you've got twins that's what i was gonna Mm. ask you i'm just really surprised you saying that that you didn't have any inkling before she was born that's why they apologized they said we're so sorry emma and like the manager of the hospital came in and i said Guys, they say, there's no need to apologise, she's perfect. And then the questions came, do you want to give her up for adoption, social services? There wasn't an option to keep her, and I could not get my head round why this was happening. You know, because you've you just given birth and everything's so confusing, I couldn't understand what was happening. And then my family also were quite negative and saw her as bad luck. They said they would pray to the gods to make her better. They'd text me and say, is she normal yet? Um, One of my family members said to me they wanted to change their will. That was the first thing that person said to me because obviously when I died, they would have had my eldest, but now the twins were involved. That person would have had my twins and my oldest and one with disability, which she couldn't cope with. Um, So it was all a really, really emotional, negative time. And then I was... I was in my hospital room and I was just ferociously trying to pump loads of milk for my twins. And then this man just walked in, like unannounced, didn't even knock. And he was like, hi, I'm here to talk about Down syndrome. And he spoke for probably about five minutes. Obviously he felt awkward. I just was like, what is going on? And he gave me a leaflet about Down syndrome and then just left. And that was the only kind of information I had. And it was just so confusing, but also really upsetting and lonely. I just remember feeling quite low at that point, actually. So who was he? Somebody from the hospital? He was somebody from an agency. I didn't get his name. Even to this day, I don't know who he was. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Sad, isn't it? So there Hmm. wasn't... Because I would have kind of imagined that, you know, once somebody has got a child who's got Down syndrome, you know, things would kind of kick in at the hospital and they would there would be a charity or there would Mm. be something that that there would be like a process that you would imagine that they would go through that that would mean that you were because that's the question you know what support did you receive because I was Mm. assuming there would have been loads of support none my friend's actually Mm. trying to set this up now she's going into hospitals and saying look this is these are the packages you can provide to people this is the support you can offer so she's really trying really hard to do that so hopefully that'll be in place soon so are there charities that... There, I think there are some charities, but I don't know much about that. No. So how no. did you... So you did you come home with both babies? Um, after, after a week, yeah. 
Right. And then did you get any kind of further support through your health visiting team or anything like oh, that? Oh, well, yes. The health visitor came and she was the best health visitor. Even to this day, we're still friends because she oh. also has a disabled child. So she knew exactly how to cope. It was She was a light in the darkness. She was the only person that supported me throughout all of it, really. She was amazing. So they yeah. sent you home after a week? Yeah. So was Amala feeding then? Yeah, Amala was, for some reason, she was amazing at feeding. And they said that she wouldn't breastfeed. She needed to have a bottle. And I said, no, she is going to breastfeed. I ha- it's been a battle since the day she was born. I've had to say, no, this is going to happen. Wow. Um, it was the other twin that struggled because he had breathing problems. Um, he struggled to feed and he was in NICU for a lot. But after a week, um, we were all home, back to my toddler, back to chaos. <laughs> but it was so nice to be home, isn't it, when you've had your children, just to be home and sit in your pyjamas. It's just lovely. But to have had a C-section as well, mm. all of that going on, and still... I mean, I was in hospital for a week with my twins, oh. but, you know, that they weren't in special care or anything. You know, that, mm. and, I, you know, obviously, I was so feels you know very lucky that that you know that was the case but I just cannot believe that 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 was the case I really can't particularly because you didn't you had another child and you didn't have any family support that's really mm. really you've gosh you've you've been through a lot oh it just makes you stronger doesn't it yeah but I think well, it's obviously also, <laughs> it does I'm still quite shocked that we're living you know right now the awareness around children with additional needs particularly Down syndrome and, you know, conditions that are diagnosed at birth or, you know, pre-birth. And yet we're still getting it so wrong. That to me, know, you, know, you are so lucky that you got that health visitor. Mm. Because ultimately Absolutely. it's because of her own experiences mm. from the sounds of things that you made that connection and that understanding. Yeah. But actually, you know, I, I like like Bex. I would have expected you to have a much more kind of significant support package. I think. Yeah. 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 I know. But it shouldn't be luck, should it? I was expecting it. I even approached a charity um, for help, and they said no to me because of my. I trained at Norland, and they said no. And I said, just because I went there doesn't mean I don't need help. Mm. And that really got upset me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. But then also, you did train. So in a way, you had, you did have a different knowledge. It's not about, you know, we don't train no. parents No, they still there. should have helped me, shouldn't they? Well, not so much that, but actually for you to go, I know that I should have help mm. because yeah. this is really yeah. tricky. Like, we taught yeah. a module on special needs, you know, working with children mm. with special needs. So it's not like that wasn't there. So you had that knowledge to go, well, where is this help? Because yeah. parents who have children with additional needs actually do need help. So that's, you know, yeah. Mm. Wow. It's mind-blowing. And what would you say to to parents who have just been told that their child has special needs? I think in my personal experience, I would say it's so important to focus on the child and not their condition because it's so easy just to get lost in the diagnosis. I mean, in my 
experience, I would think, oh my gosh, Amla has Down syndrome, she can't do this, she can't do that. And I'd compare her to her twin, because her twin is very advanced. And I'd say, why isn't she crawling? Why isn't she sitting up? Why isn't she smiling? But then I got to the point, I was like, no, she's just Amala. She's just this beautiful little happy cheeky girl. And I had to look past the fact that she had Down syndrome, she couldn't do certain things, and we lived in hospital. Because if you don't, you just, you just can't get on with life. And even today, I mean, with my boys, when I pick them up from school, I've heard a teacher say, oh, um, for example, we'll call him Tom. Uh, Tom is a really naughty boy. And so my boys will say, we're not going to play with Tom because he's naughty. And then the other parents in the playground will be like, oh, we're not going to invite Tom to the party because we've heard he's naughty. And again, that is that teacher labelling that child. And I feel like we label children all the time. You know, it doesn't matter if they've got a disability or they've got a bit of a behaviour problem. We just seem to label them. I just think that children need to be, just be themselves and stop labelling them. Do you know what I mean? I'm, mm -hmm. just, I'm just sick of it. They're yeah. passionate about that. Sorry. <laughs> no, I know really... that's that, such a good point. Mm. Such, yeah. But all children have some, you know, I think children who have to live with whatever it is, whether it's, you know, Down syndrome, whether it's autism, whether it's um, a physical condition that affects their mobility, whatever it might be, that, you know, it makes them who they are. They can be super resilient. Mm, yeah. They can have the character. Like there's elements of their kind of personalities that come out. And you're there going, wow, you are such a character. But that's because they're learning, you know, it's what mm. who they are. And I think absolutely when people say and label children regardless, whether it's a special need or whether it's just the child, whether they're shy, whether they're, you know, boisterous, whether they're this, it's like the minute you put that label on, mm everybody follows that label very yeah. often and how does that child come out of that label um yeah and so i think yeah it's sad isn't it are yeah. the twins at school together no so amala i delayed her for a year mm -hmm. which took me a very long time because the council said that she should be going to school straight away when she uh, last september but i said you know she she can barely walk she can't talk she's still in nappies i want to delay her for a year um, which I won in the end. So now she's at preschool and it was really important to me that they were separated. Mm -hmm. I know lots of people keep their twins together, but Brahma became Amala's carer. So when they were at preschool together, if anything went wrong, the staff would ask Brahma what to do and he hated it. He'd come home and say, I don't want to keep looking after Amala. And he, he couldn't be a little boy. And now he's at school, he, I've, he just come, he's become himself because before I had a lot of behaviour issues with him because he was just trying to fight for his right to be him. And now he's just this amazing little boy and he's Brahma and he's fun and he loves lions and he's come out of his character. And it was the best decision ever to separate them. And, and now Amla's also thriving. She isn't relying on Brahma and now she's, she rules the roost and she stomps around preschool and shouts at everyone and she's just very happy. <laughs> isn't it ever. funny isn't it funny how you have 
these things like my my twins were together as well for at the be- well they were t- sorry they were together at the beginning because that was just kind of how it worked and yeah. how I thought it would be okay and actually they relied quite a lot on each other as well Aww. but then when they separated actually they became their own people and mm. it kind of you know actually it's been really good for them to do it so it's so individual isn't it which way yeah. you do things um but yeah. even more so for Brahma because actually like you say he didn't have the opportunity to be himself did he no he just was that and it's very that's a different that is a even more different thing for you in that not only have you got a a child they are also twins Mm. and so they're they're doing things at the same time you've got all those comparisons it's Mm. yeah makes it and it's kind of another thing to think about isn't it really yeah yeah, but he's very happy in school and he's Aww. with his older brother and now they're like best friends because they're at school together. So it's very sweet. That is mm. very and sweet. And so yeah. it will Amala go to school in September and then or you Yeah, not with the boys though. No. She's going she's going to a mainstream. I did have to fight for that. But she's gonna to go to mainstream for one year. I'm gonna try it because I want to give her an opportunity to see how she is and then after that I will assess it. But the school I've chosen, they've already got a child with Down syndrome there already. So they should know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like, I mean, the trouble is that when um, Amala does go to preschool, I had to change her preschool. She was with someone who couldn't communicate with her. And it's really hard to find the right staff because there's, there's not enough education out there. So people weren't trained in Makaton because she can't speak. She communicates through Makaton, like a form of sign language. But her one-to-one couldn't do Makaton. So it's pointless her being the one-to-one. So this person had to go on training and, and learn, which was amazing. But I feel like they should have chose someone who knew about Down syndrome. So I just, I, it's, it's always frustrating because you've got to fight for a place, for funding, for therapies, for the right care, for the right key worker. It's, and the amount of paperwork as well that comes with a special needs child is like a full-time job. It's not just, oh, you have a child, you send them to school, boom. It's just ongoing. So you do, do you feel that, I mean, one of our questions to you was, you know, we kind of gave you a few little things we wanted to talk about, but one of them was, do you feel there's more awareness and understanding in society regarding additional needs and specifically around understanding Down syndrome? And that kind of makes me feel like the answer is no, <laughs> having just spoken to you about it. Or, you know, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I really wanted to say yes, but the answer is no. Because I was thinking when you asked that question, because five years ago, obviously, I was told, asked, do you want to keep my daughter or not? And she was seen as this negative thing. And then two weeks ago, a woman I know was asked the same question in the same hospital, do you want to keep your baby with Down syndrome? And this is five years on, and the same thing's still happening. And I just think that there just needs to be bit more awareness but what I do want to say but I want to say this really carefully about offending any of your listeners is that I personally think it's okay for a doctor to ask a parent if they want to keep their special needs child if they say it in the right way so for example when a doctor asked me about my child it was all negative give her up for adoption social services if they said congratulations on your beautiful baby However, these are the circumstances that might happen. 
are you ready to cope with this? Because there are so many parents who I've seen in the line of work I was doing where they couldn't cope. They had mental breakdowns. They were wanting to take their life because they didn't want that life anymore. And I just think it's important to ask that question because some parents aren't ready for that and some parents don't want a child with special needs. And there might be a family out there who really wants that child who would look after it. So I think that question can be asked if it's in the right context and if people just have a bit more awareness of of how to approach a situation. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Does. But how about out and about? You know, day to day, what do you feel is the understanding and awareness like? I, I don't think it's good at all. I mean, I saw my friend yesterday. She's got a child who's deaf and in a wheelchair. And she's amazing. She's so happy and quirky. She waves to everyone, but nobody waves back to her. And it's really, really upsets my friend because it seems like people pretend that disabled children are invisible. And, and the thing is, I do sometimes think it's not out of people being nasty. I think it's out of just not being educated that sometimes it's okay to wave to a disabled child. It doesn't mean you have to go and talk to them and find out why they're disabled and get that awkward feeling. Um, what am I trying to say? Do you know what I mean? People feel awkward about talking about disabilities and it is awkward to ask, ask the mother why is your child disabled? But I think waving to them and acknowledging them is perfectly okay. And when I go to pick up my boys at school, a lot of the children in the playground, because my daughter will be licking the playground or something ridiculous, they look at her and they do think that she is this oddball and they will stay away from her and treat her like she doesn't belong in the playground. I've had parents do it as well. And I've been turned away from places, lots of places I've been to with my boys, Amla has been excluded from. And it's really hard. And I wish society would see disability as just something a bit more positive than making it negative all the time. Yeah. Have you had any positive experiences that you think do you know what they kind of shattered my what I was what I think you know they've made it really special uh there's an amazing charity who I volunteer for uh called chimpanzees and they run pop-up centers for disabled children and going there is the most amazing thing because it's full of carers and Everyone's included, and there's, you can all sit and have a chat while your children jump on a, a trampoline or they're on some sensory room. And it's, it's just for disabled children, but also disabled children's siblings can go. And that space is really inclusive, and I feel relaxed for the first time in a long time. But out in public, I still find it hard. Like even going to, there's a cafe, and it's got steps going up. There's no slope. I can't get a wheelchair up. I can't even get a pram up there. So we can't go in there. For example, there's a bookshop we want to go to. It's got stairs. There's no slope. So I can't push a wheelchair in there. Even small things like that, I'm excluded from the boys going to get a book because I can't get in there. And I just think, we live in you know, 2023. Get a slope. It's not mm. hard. Yeah, there's so many things, aren't there? But but talking about that charity you were just saying, it does show that it can be done. Mm. It's not, you know, it isn't, a, yeah. 
it's not unattainable, is it? And like no. you say, yeah. sometimes all it needs is a slope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. So yes, there are there are lots of positives. What would you say you've learned the most from being kind of a parent to a child with special needs, but that's in a way different to the, you know, the boys in kind of being neurotypical, like what would you say you've learned the most from being a special needs parent? I think this might sound a bit cheesy, but I think being grateful because it's so easy to get lost in the darkness and to be grateful for the fact that Amala is still alive right now because we're told actually that she wouldn't live very long and she's five. Um, I have to be grateful every day for the things I have or I, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, I have to be grateful that I've got two wonderful boys. I'm grateful that I've got a fridge full of food and a house of heating. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so important. And that's, and Amala's taught me that. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And also another thing that she's taught me is that um, not to be this perfect parent because I think because I have worked with children my whole life and I want to be this amazing mum... I am a good mum, but, I, you know, I'm not the perfect mum. And we put so much pressure on ourselves to do it all. And Amla's taught me that you just can't do it all. And sometimes you just want to sit and just cry and just, you know, have a duvet day. And I, and she has taught me just to be a bit chilled, a bit chilled out a bit more. Be grateful and be chilled. But that probably makes you more of a perfect parent than anything else. If you weren't doing those Absolutely. things, then you wouldn't you would burn out, you would be, you know, it's actually mm. just being, there's no such thing as a perfect parent because you it, you just no. can't. And I think no. taking that time for you when it can, you know, parenting is hard regardless. Mm. And so taking that time out and just going, do you know what, today's just not going to be one of those days where I have all the activities and I'm singing around <laughs> the house. <and laughs> yeah. You know, it's totally different. And so I think it's giving permission to that, isn't it? And Mm. do you find that you are now, like your network is much more parents and carers who have children with special needs because actually they understand. So doing play dates and things like that, there's a more of an understanding or do you feel that friends that, you know, you've got to know through school or the boys, whatever, you've been able to make those connections or do you feel it's very much through your network of special needs families? So I'm quite fortunate. I have a big group of friends. Um, but when I go on play dates with Amala, I will only meet up with the friends that have disabled children because they do get it. And I, I, I've got a lovely group of NCT friends. Um, and when we all met up for play dates, obviously not everyone is aware of Down syndrome. So when Amala might be pulling someone's hair or hitting out it's just her sign of trying to communicate but to them it's like your child is attacking my child and it and sometimes it can create barriers so it was just easier for me to meet up with parents who have disabled children and then meet up with my friends without my daughter unfortunately that's just what it is because people just don't get it mm-hmm. and that's not their fault because they just haven't got a disabled child they don't understand that that's just how she is so do you feel your close network, that. like your friends and family who you said right at the beginning, it was very tricky. Do you feel that mm. they've now 
kind of understand more because they're... Oh, sorry. Um, no, 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 no. My family yeah. don't understand, no. Right. Still, five years on, they don't understand. And, right. and I was thinking it would get easier as Amla got older, but it's actually got harder. I think because she's older and she's very, she's like She-Hulk, she's so strong. So she <laughs> will smash things and she'll grab you. And because her behavior can be quite aggressive, it is harder with her. And then, and if my family are around, they find that really, really hard to deal with. So nothing has changed with my situation, right. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, support from, you know, you talked about lots of ho um, hospital visits and that kind of thing. Do you have support in how to do things like manage Amala with, you know, her physicality and her behaviour? You know, what, what do you have people saying, you know, this is a kind of thing that you could try or isn't there really anything that you can do? I really don't want this all to sound negative, this podcast. I feel like I've been really negative. But unfortunately... No, there wasn't. So Amla went through an extreme behaviour uh, problem where she was lashing out, biting, hitting, smashing things. You know, me and the boys have got bruises down us where she attacked us. And I couldn't cope with it. I didn't know who to ask. I asked my doctors. I, I emailed and contacted so many people in support groups, but no one seemed to give me answers. I looked in books. And it was a, a very long time and then eventually I found a book about behaviour and I contacted the author who lived in Cumbria and I just said I'll pay you for a Zoom call just give me some feedback on how to manage my daughter's behaviour because I, I couldn't cope and I felt like I was failing as a mother and my friends who had other children with Down syndrome they had different issues like their child might be a, a bit slower and not have this aggressive behaviour so they couldn't really help me so this woman was amazing and she helped me. She's called Sue Buckley, amazing woman. And she helped me so much and gave me loads of feedback. But I thought it was very sad that I had to search for someone on the internet to do that. But, and there wasn't any help for me. And what makes me even sadder is that in the line of work I did as a coach for special needs parents, that there's so many parents who are extremely vulnerable who might not be as uh, enthusiastic as me, who just can't be bothered because they, they've just lost the will to live and they, and they just cope with this behaviour and just deal with the fact that they might not have that funding, they might not have this place because I kind of have this drive to go and get it and it shouldn't be like that. The support should be out there, ready to go for parents. And even filling in your DLA form or your funding form or having to fight with the council, again, that comes off on your own back. No one sits with you and says, this is how you do it. You have to do this. You have to exaggerate this bit. So you get, you know, no one tells you that. You have to just work out yourself. And that's why I went into coaching parents, because I really wanted to help them get and create the best life for their child. It's, the lack of support out there is terrible. Well, and that's what you found from what you've said it yeah. is that actually uh, when we were chatting beforehand, you know, being a parent coach, you know, the, the, the need for that is mm. incredible by the sounds mm. of it. But, you know, like you said, it, it actually can be all consuming because there's such a gap. Yeah. It's a shame, really. Yeah, we've got um, some very close friends of ours and their son um, received a diagnosis when he was a couple of, he he was 
two, three years old, and then the diagnosis sort of of it was of something else and quite complex and everything else genetically it was a genetic condition um but that word fight they literally use it all the time they're fighting for this they're fighting for that you know whether it's school whether it's um carers whether it's respite whether it's Mm. and you've used the word fight so many times through this as well and you're like why do people have to be fighting for Mm. actually children to have a childhood that they deserve, but also parents that aren't yeah. sat at home going absolutely desperate, going, I don't know which way to turn. And, you know, it can mm. be through just sheer exhaustion, overwhelm. If they, mm. you know, again, if they have a situation where they don't have that support from family members and friends because they don't understand or whatever, it is quite a lonely place, isn't it? And I think... yeah. The important part from if they, you know, if someone is listening to this who is a parent of a, you know, child with special needs, I think it is about making sure that you reach out, whether it, you know, if you can find that health mm. visitor like you had, or whether it is finding yeah. someone who can just give you that support in whatever area it is, is so important yeah. not to do it on your it's own. It's almost trying to find that that network isn't it that you can draw on and like you say friends who you have Mm. um friends who have children with the same conditions or Mm. it's that kind of thing but it you know how I mean it's completely different but you know when my children were little and I struggled with their sleep and their behavior and all those sorts of things sometimes like you say Emma they you are so exhausted and so at the end of your tether the last thing you even feel like doing is kind of reaching out or researching you know so it can be really really hard to do that but that's kind of the message isn't it to try and find people yeah yeah it's really important to talk and connect with people in your same situation as you Uh, but I think as a parent with of my eldest that was really easy going out and meeting parents but when you're a carer and you've got twins I found it really hard because I was in that appointments all the time. So the best support I actually found, rather than face-to-face groups that not everyone could get to all the time, is actually Facebook, because there's such a huge network on Facebook. And any disability, there's a group for. And if one person asks a question, they might say, my child keeps having meltdowns and I don't know, licking the floor, then someone will say, oh, have you tried this? Have you done that? And then someone else will comment. And it's so supportive. And you can just sit at home and be in your dressing gown or breastfeeding your twins and connect with others in the same boat as you. And you feel supported, although it's not face-to-face. It's just another way of support when you just can't get out of the house. Well, and I'm sure that you've commented lots of things to people Mm. in the same way. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's a really good tip, I think. And that's yeah. kind of like about building that network, mm. even if it's virtually. That's, yeah, really, And really it also important. gives a positive so, of social media, doesn't it? Because social media can be a really tough place as well. Because if you're watching yeah. all these videos or posts about mm. everyone having mm. a wonderful time and they're going here and they're going there. Yeah. And you're yeah. a parent with a child who has special needs and it, restricts you being able to do certain groups or going on holiday or whatever it might be 
actually balancing that out with those groups where everyone goes, do you know what? I'm having, you know, I'm having a good day today or I'm yeah. having a bad day or I can help you with that. I tried this, you know. Yeah. So I think it is looking at social media. There are those positives. Yeah, but social also- media gets a bad gets a bad rap sometimes doesn't it but actually that's a really positive thing to mm. kind of yeah say it is it. and the nice thing is that sometimes people will post something like oh my gosh look my daughter took her first step or she's eating with a spoon and then everyone like 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 that's amazing <laughs> those hearts and I think that's so beautiful so there's a woman in Canada which I've connected with you know I'm never going to meet her she's a million miles away but her daughter took her first steps and she was told her daughter would never walk and I think that's amazing I'm so proud of her and it's just lovely that I can just connect with her. Well, and the thing is, you can empathise completely with her because yeah. you're in the same situation, which you won't necessarily get in Bristol or wherever you, you, no. you're living. Um, I think we're probably about to wrap up, but I don't yeah. know if there's a... If there's a... If you want, you can answer this or... But what do you wish you could tell others about being a parent of a child with special needs but don't necessarily usually get the chance? Oh, I think, I feel I mentioned earlier, I think just take each day as it comes and just don't remember that you don't have to be a perfect parent. You don't have to do it all. And just live each day as it comes. Because I think also with being a carer, you worry about the future, which is automatic when you have a child because you think how long are they going to live and what happens if I die first. But I think be prepared but live each day. So, you know, get your trust fund in place, get your will done, and then forget about it and just live each day as it comes because you don't know what tomorrow brings. And you've just got to be grateful for each day and be grateful that you have a lovely little child. I think it's really important. Mm, couldn't have said it better mm. ourselves. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's everything for today. Thanks for listening. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, we'd love you to get in touch and let us know. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bespoke Family or head to our website. The links are in our show notes. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear. We're Bex and Claire and we'll be back soon with another episode of Newborn to Team and everything in between. See you then.